0: I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. I have someone here today I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, mainly because I've known her forever on Twitter, Meredith Johnson. Hi, Meredith.
1: Hello, Barbara. It's great to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. I've I've been learning a little bit about you, and I can't wait to share that with my audience. Are you okay if I just kind of boast about you a
1: little bit? Oh, that would be good. That would be wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Boasting is good.
0: <laughs> so Meredith has over 40 years as a teacher, a principal, and an administrator, and. I say, now connector of book lovers through social media. That's kind of how I met you. Yes, it was. Right? Uh, quite a few I,
1: years I, ago now, yep.
0: Oh my gosh, I can't even remember when. But I, I've been learning about you, Meredith. You love working with adults, guiding them in developing their academic skills and using technology as a tool to help them achieve their goals.
1: Absolutely, yes. It's my passion, Barbara.
0: Oh, well, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast, Meredith, was to find out what people were passionate about, and yours just came across. That's why I really wanted to talk Thank to you. you. So you're definitely an avid user of Twitter. You know, that's how I met you. Yeah. I mean, I can't even remember how long ago now. So Meredith, I always start with a kind of a little bit of a background about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and your family?
1: Absolutely. I have three amazing adult sons. Um, They live in different parts of the country. The eldest son is married with my first grandchild, and he lives in southern Illinois um, near St. Louis, Carbondale. Um, And he um, went through law school, and he has been in practice for several years. So that's my eldest. What's his name? The second son. Charles McGuire. Charles,
0: okay. yeah.
1: And then my second son, Matthew, he lives in Broomfield, Colorado. He moved there just specially to help my youngest son um, go through law school. Uh, Living in Colorado is very expensive, somewhat I'm sure like California. And when the youngest child was going into law school, he um, needed a roommate, so my middle son said, I'll be there. I'm there to help you, brother. So Aww. he picked up his life, and he works remotely, so he could do that. So he has been there now for about a year and a half, living with my youngest son um, in Broomfield. He's in the technology industry. His name is Matthew.
0: Meredith, it, it's it's so great to hear that your your children like each other.
1: Yes, yes the support is great. Matthew has been wonderful um, living with Jonathan and helping him through law school because it's tremendously expensive, of course. Um, and so they live in Broomfield and Jonathan is less than a hundred days from graduating from law school. So he's oh. pretty excited about that.
0: Oh, that is very, very exciting. So, um, You were living, where did you live before? Now I know where you live, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay,
1: yes, in paradise, yeah.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) I started out, I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I went through most of my education there in um, elementary, some of junior high, as it was called, and then my family moved to southern Illinois, and I um, lived there, graduated from high school, as well as college with my bachelor's degree and master's degree. From Southern Illinois University, yeah. So, um, and now? Oh, then I left um, Illinois after a few years. I went to Wisconsin. After Wisconsin, we moved and had an adventure, wonderful adventure, in Reno, Nevada. We went from Reno, Nevada back to Illinois and spent two years there um, in a very at-risk elementary school. And then we... um, Started on our journey to our dream of living here in paradise in um, Naples, Florida.
0: And Meredith, even if your children are different places now, you probably go visit them. Am I right? Absolutely.
1: Long car rides. Yep. (laughs) So what was it like for you as a student? Um, I had absolutely a wonderful childhood. I went through the Minneapolis public schools, and during the 60s, they were some of the highest-rated in the country. It was magnificent. Um, I had a love of books. Um, I would get all of my parents' books off of bookshelves, and I would put them out on a table, and I would try to have my brothers come by and check them out. Well, they, of course, had no interest, whatever, in that. But that was part of my love of books. I'm also a third-generation educator. My grandmother, she uh, was a schoolteacher in a one-room schoolhouse near Red Wing, Minnesota. And then my mother taught nursing at the University of Minnesota. And so education and learning, especially books, has always been just a center of my life.
0: You know, that's really cool, Meredith. Because I didn't have the greatest. I mean, I went to wonderful schools, but I struggle because I'm not, as, I, I'm not that compliant. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that about me, but, um, I realized that the only way I could get through school was to do school uh-huh. and, and a lot of it wasn't really creative for me. Uh, you know what, Meredith, it's really cool. Cause yes. it sounds like you found a way because of books. It was another way for you to explore, create, you know, that's really amazing that you've kept that passion all the way through.
1: Yes, Absolutely. That's wonderful.
0: So, um, you, I'm trying to look at through some of the things that you shared with me. Um, special education
1: is so your background. Uh, wh- how did that happen? I had a, my eldest brother. Um, he was um, born a premature baby, and during the 50s, they put them into oxygen intub- um, incubators. And oh. um, he was born premature, very premature. And so he had many learning problems. Um, I grew up, um, he went to school, this is interesting, I think, during the 50s. And that was long before public law 94-142 was even thought of. Um, and he tried to go to kindergarten and first grade in the Minneapolis public schools. But during those times, I don't think that they were prepared as we are today to work with children with significant learning problems, and so then he went to an absolutely marvelous um, boarding school in Wyzetta, Minnesota, called Hammer School, and my family thinks very fondly of Hammer School and all of the years that he spent there. Um, he would come home on weekends and was home with us all summer, but they were able to help him tremendously with learning how to read and math and excelling in the areas he was greatly interested in. So. With that childhood, that background, when I thought about what am I going to do, I thought, well, I want to go into special education in order to make a difference with children. So did you go to visit that school? Very yourself? often. Yes, uh, yes. Well, we'd pick him up every Friday. And so um, I would go and interact with all of the children that lived there. They had a wonderful field day event, I remember fondly. Um and so it was always a great connection between him living there and the family setting too.
0: Wow. So I mean it seems to me that um if he hadn't gone to that school
1: Oh I <laughs> Is I that can't... what
0: really did it? I mean
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: Wow. He but had
1: the... he had very interesting aspects where the areas that he was interested in, bicycles and stereo equipment, he could talk with any adult uh, about that for hours on end. Um, and then other areas, he had significant challenges with, um, but I think without the schooling and learning how to read, that would have put him far behind. It's wonderful he well, the, had that.
0: So the school, I mean, it's not still around, is that still around? That
1: um, I have, I think they moved it from the setting where it was in Yazeman, Minnesota, but it would be very interesting to find out if it still is in place. But there's been so many changes to education since the 1950s that my guess is that it's not, but
0: Well, the idea that they start they allowed him to look at what he's passionate about and that's what he was able to explore is kind of the things that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very true, Barbara. You're right on wow. with that one. So where did you start as a special ed, or where did you go to school and where did you start? Mm-hmm. I went to um, Southern Illinois University and I picked up both an element, um, a degree in elementary and special education, a joint degree. I uh, picked up two degrees in three and a half years so that I could get busy. That's how I am. <laughs> I'm driven. And when I make up my mind to do something, it's okay. What do I need to do? <laughs> Let me jump through those hoops. Um, and then I taught in Carbondale, Illinois, which is also a university town um, for my beginning years in education. And um, at that time, it was a resource room. And then in another setting, it was a self-contained classroom. The self-contained classroom was what really spurred me on to the master's degree, where the children were with me all day long. They were um, only allowed away from my elbow for 30 minutes at lunch. And otherwise, I tried to get them to go to music class or to go to art class. I thought that that would be a good way to start. And, um, some of them tried, but they, the teachers soon sent them back to me. And so, um, that encouraged me to work on my master's degree. It was in educational administration. And then I also, um, had an endorsement as a special education director. And so, all of those life experiences were what really encouraged me and drove me in the directions that I went with my own education, which then opened doors for me all of the rest of those 40 years that came after.
0: That's amazing. Um, You kind of knew that the only way you were going to make changes is if you became an administrator. I mean, you, and it looks, you know, the life experiences that we all have, a lot of times some people don't really understand this is it takes you down different roads, but you can always look back. That's why I wanted you to look back and to kind of share, because I bet you some of the people on Twitter don't know
1: some of these things. <laughs> oh, no. No, they don't. What I want to do is capitalize on the people on Twitter to try to help them be that spark however I can. And so talking about myself, and I didn't even do that for the first maybe two to three years on Twitter, I didn't think mm-hmm. anyone wanted to know about me. I wanted to sh- learn about them. How can I help you? I know you did that. That's why
0: I'm talking to you, because <laughs> I think it's important to have your story out there. I mean, you've been a principal. I, I started looking and doing some research on you. You've been at
1: several schools, right? Absolutely, yes. I um, started in a very small school in um, Southern Illinois, and it was a middle school. Um, It had grades five through eight, and I was there for um, seven years. Wonderful way to begin that, uh, with a very supportive superintendent who I would, a mentor that I'll never forget. Um, And then I moved from there to Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin in an elementary setting for nine years, and during those nine years I started wearing all sorts of different hats, curriculum coordinator, technology, and that's also. When um, Common Core started coming in and um, developing technology plans, all of those things came about during those nine years. Um, my husband wanted very much to move to some place that was warm. We lived in northwestern Wisconsin where it was frequently <laughs> 10 degrees below zero. I would hop in my Jeep every morning, look up at that little temperature, 10 degrees below, 10 degrees below. Well, oh. Yeah, that gets, that gets <laughs> a little old. It was very cold. Um, so th- we um, then moved to Reno, Nevada with the Washoe County School District, and I was there for eight years in different schools within Washoe County. Um, that was a fantastic, fantastic um, opportunity, and I met excellent, just amazing teachers all along the way. Um, so having those memories of them as I sit here and reflect back, those are cherished memories that I have. Um, from Reno, we went, there was a nationwide search going on for, um, it was um, school improvement and states would have funding in order to have um, educators who were turnaround principals. That was just a phrase. Um, and I had done that and with an amazing team of educators in Reno and been very successful. And so then um, this School District in Illinois also hired me as a turnaround principal, and I was there for two years working with an amazing group of educators who did indeed turn that school around through their dedication and huge hard work. Um, When you have one of the schools that's performing in the lowest 5% of any school in the whole state of Illinois as an elementary school, um, it's extremely challenging to help that school turn around and have the children succeed and not have that um, school-to-prison pipeline that is so damaging that we see in so many places. And so now those educators, they communicate with me often, often on Twitter, sometimes on (laughs) Facebook, um, and they share with me absolute joy at the results that they see in those individual children. So wonderful. Um, That's that's amazing. Yes. Then we decided to... um, start our dream and of retirement. And so we moved to uh, Florida near the Naples area. I live actually on the Isles of Capri, it is called. And <laughs> that sounds like paradise. It is paradise, Barbara. <laughs> it is. Um, I try to share pictures often on Twitter so that it hopefully helps people go, oh, wow, look at that ocean. And um, I worked the first year here for the Collier County School District in a semi-administrative role which helped me transition into not being um, a principal any longer. So that was in the special education um, realm of of education and that was a great role to have for that one year until I decided, okay, I've walked those hallways enough, I'm ready to begin retirement, I thought.
0: You never are going to retire, I don't but well, you know it, it's different uh when you get to a certain point in your life. It's like um you've been so passionate about this and helping people that you decided just i mean just knowing you on Twitter and never talking to you, I could
1: see it oh, that's wonderful, that's wonderful that that's how it comes yeah. across you don't you can't always be sure, you know when it's a social media connection, but I'm glad that that's how it comes across, Barbara.
0: Well, the thing that I just wanna bring up all the different experiences you've had as an administrator and working with turnaround schools, because I've done some of that with uh, some schools, just knowing that um, you were able to make a difference and also that uh,
1: they reach out to you still. Oh, yes. This summer we traveled to Wisconsin and um, and then up further, up near Lake Superior. And when we were going through Wisconsin, um, I let them know I was coming, and they had an absolutely amazing party that <clears throat> about 30 educators that I worked with um, came to. And we all, just lots of hugs and joy, and sharing with them what a absolutely excellent community school that they have. When you go to so many, you find out what makes that school work, and um, the school in Wisconsin was just a group of educators that were just like family with each other, and to be able to share with them the fondest memories I had, it was just fantastic. Uh, Well, not everyone can say that. (laughs) (laughs) They don't
0: always go back. (laughs) And um, I I hope you share some of the stories on, you know, your website too, because I think it's not, I mean, you're right now into uh, sharing books and what other people are doing. But before we go into that, I wanted to share why, and because I know why Twitter means a lot to me and social media means a lot to me, but why does it mean so much to you?
1: I think that social media is the way that I can remain connected to other educators who are so passionate about what they're doing to try to do anything that I can to help them. Um, sometimes it's just a graphic that I post and I love sharing graphics, absolutely love that because I think the graphic um, can express, a, it can extend the words that are in a tweet. And so frequently I try to share graphics that hopefully spur someone or a resource Something that I started about 15 years ago was using Digo, D-I-I-G-O dot com, in order mm-hmm. to save all my bookmarks, because many years ago, I would move from one school to another school, and the bookmarks would stay on that computer, and I thought, oh no, this, this will never do. So I started <laughs> using Digo, and when you have all of it bookmarked with tags from 15 years ago, the the very best articles... the um, the very best books, uh, when someone needs a resource on something, boy, it just takes me a second to pull that up and share it with them. So Twitter helps me stay connected. And hopefully the main emphasis is on helping others.
0: Well, you do. Um, you know, it's funny. I uh, love it when you kind of join my Twitter chat. <laughs> because what I always see is you have these graphics that are really unique and, and the resources, they always, um, help spur and prompt the uh, conversations. So, uh, you, you have a wealth of knowledge and I don't know if it's from Digo, but I think you're still doing that in some other ways, yes. right? You're connecting. Yeah.
1: Yep. Thank you, Barbara.
0: So, um, you told me something about your, how you got started in Twitter and you were at a conference in
1: Dallas. Oh, in the middle of a snow ice storm. I think that ice was six to eight inches thick when we were traveling from the airport to the hotel that night. Oh, it was something else. Ours was one of the last planes to land.
0: And what happened? So, I mean, how did Twitter come in?
1: Okay. Um, we were in a hallway waiting for one of the sessions to begin, and the um, technology coordinator that came with us from the district, she said... Are you on Twitter? And I said, Well, I've heard of it. She said, Here, let me help you. So she took my phone, she connected me with Twitter, and even the numbers at the end of my um, Twitter name, it was MJ Johnson 1216, M- MJ Johnson was taken. And so the 1216 <laughs> is the address of that school that I worked at when she helped me that day. Um, so I started my Twitter journey then, um, and about A year later, I was trying to figure out Twitter chats. And I just just boggled my mind. I could not figure it out. So I asked someone at school, oh, what you need to start using is TweetDeck. That will help you tremendously. Oh, okay, all right. And I started (laughs) using that, and there, away I went. That was the key that helped me figure all of that out.
0: It's funny how... You know, you're kind of afraid to jump in until someone kind of nudges you, but you're now the nudger. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, um, you're doing something now that is amazing. It's the Book Camp PD.
1: Do you want to tell us how you started that? Absolutely. Um, I was getting close to retirement and I thought I would really like to start a Twitter chat what could that Twitter chat be about? How could that reach out to people? Um, I noticed the ones that existed, and I I took months trying to decide what it was. And I finally decided that the key would be professional learning. I don't call it professional development anymore because I don't think people get developed. You are on a (laughs) learning journey. Um, So um, Book Camp PD came about because I thought through professional learning how can you do that using Twitter? And I thought of all of the amazing books that I saw being shared, and I thought, hmm, it's great to share books, but part of what needs to happen is those collaborative conversations about the content of the book and how each teacher is doing in rolling out and implementing those ideas that they're so tremendously excited about. How is that going for you? And that's what started um, Book Camp PD.
0: When did
1: you start that? Oh, I think it was two and a half years ago now. Wow. And,
0: it's so big now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it started with a chat, and then I uh-huh. thought, well, I need to have it um, broken up in a month section. And so we, I started with um, book tasting, one the first week in a month, and then followed it with shine the spotlight that had teachers brag about what they were doing with the concepts related to the book and then the front porch swing which is kind of a throwback to the past where on warm summer evenings neighbors would gather together and share stories on their front porches and so the front porch swing was always part center of those kind of great conversations where friendships were developed and so the third um, week of the chat, focused on a book, was that front porch swing. And then it was wonderful to have the last weekend, week end of the chat, with um, the authors joining us. And you, um, we focused on your book. Um, Kathleen was the one, I think, that was there at that time who was available. But each author is then encouraged to come on and join. Now we um, switch the books up every two weeks um, rather than every week. Wow, oh, I'm sorry. Every month,
0: every month, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's amazing because I've seen what you've been doing, but I didn't realize that there were these four components.
1: Well, that with was every previously. Book.
0: Yeah, so now it's different.
1: Now it's different. Now it's evolved into because I wanted greater voice. I wanted to help others become leaders on um, Twitter, just as Connie Hamilton. Oh, bless her soul helped me become more involved and understand the different aspects of it. Um, and so now it is two weeks that we focus on a book. The first one is with a guest moderator, where the people who participate in the chat volunteer and sign up to be the guest moderator for the books. And then the second one is with the author, whenever the author can ag- agrees to come on to the chat. And I'd say oh, three-fourths wow. of them do. Um, and so, in order to um, have voice and choice from all the educators that participate, there are um, surveys that go out before, long before we start them. And so the educators can go in and vote on uh, 36 books, and which ones have the top eight, or the top ten, are the ones then that we focus on. So it's not my decisions; It's no publisher's decision. I think that's very important. That educators see there's a wide variety of different books that are involved in Book Camp PD based on their interests and what they want to learn more about.
0: So, how do you come up with the 36 books they choose oh,
1: from? That's wonderful. That was, <laughs> <coughs> thanks for that question. That is so terrific. Um, the educators can go on to the website that correlates with the chat, and the website is bookcamppd.com. And there's a tab there, and I link all of this for them, right on Twitter. And I, for about mm, a month, I try to strongly tweet frequently, getting educators to share what books would you like to recommend. And so then their recommendations all go into one folder, and they're housed there also, so anyone can go and see them, all the different books that are recommended by educators. Again, voice and choice of educators. Um, then when it comes time for a survey, they're already all accumulated there from what educators have shared. And then that's how the survey, the books in the survey are selected.
0: Oh, my gosh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I'm just curious now because you've been doing this two and a half years. Look how big it is. It's growing every day. It really is. Oh, so is there anything? I mean, right now you have People choosing the books. You have them doing two weeks. Uh, do you have anything else kind of <laughs> spurring in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question.
1: What I try to talk with technology people that I meet on Twitter about is how I have hopes and dreams of how Twitter will actually evolve over time. Um, I started way back in the times when AOL was just beginning. And that is almost 30 years ago. No. 23 years ago now, I have seen <laughs> social media advance so much and so I realize what Twitter is today will not be what Twitter will be years from now. It will evolve as well. And so I look forward to watching for those changes so that as someone who uses it as a vehicle to help others, we I can capitalize on the changes when they do occur with Twitter. Or maybe it will be something else besides Twitter. It seems amazing to me that something else is going to occur um, that we will jump onto and grab hold of and run like wild, but it very well could.
0: Well, you never know. I mean, I know that some people take the books and put them on Pinterest. Yes. And then they lead. I mean, the things that I would like are more stories. Ah, Uh, so they would really, you know, somehow connecting the books and what they did for people. You know, now that you have the collaborations now, what are they actually doing? And then share those stories somewhere, because to me, um, that's what I'm looking for. Well, Barbara, like I'm what- writing
1: down that idea in my head right now. That's wonderful. That's kind of a combination of shine the spotlight and front porch mm-hmm. swing all rolled yes. into one to have um, people share that. And the website you see is one way where those stories could be um, housed. There can be a tab that shares that.
0: See, I think your book that you're going to write (laughs) (laughs) is uh, stories from the front porch swing. Uh Don't you think that would be a great book or shine the spotlight or something like that? Because, I mean, if you the people want to tell the stories, they want to explain what's going on. But a lot of times they're not that great at doing it for themselves. And so that's one of the reasons why I try to encourage people to, you know, let me know about you. I just learned so much about you that I never knew.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a a story that I would like to share. And that is one day I was talking with another principal and she said, Meredith, there's this person I want you to meet. I think you would be the best of friends. Well, I was far too busy being a principal day in, day out to have close friends that I had connections with. Um, she said, no, no, you have to meet him. Well, I put it off, and she kept reminding me. I put it off until summer, and I invited him over to the house. His name was Bob Listener. And Bob and I had all absolute immediate connection with each other. Bob worked with Steve Jobs in the very beginning, when Apple was just being <coughs> created in the operating mm-hmm. system for the first Apple IIe computer. And... Bob and I, we exchange emails often. I fly back to Reno to see him, and that was one connection that happened. Um, Bob also, I was working in one of the elementary schools, and Bob, I really need some computers. And he said, oh, I will go and work with this business and reframe the computer and dust it off, whatever they do. And he had then six computers in every classroom within about two months. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, that's but that's just one of my stories. I was dragging my heels, didn't really want to meet him. But once I got out of my shell and and stopped thinking about the school, it just launched into something that was amazing for the children in that school to have that much technology that Bob helped by being a volunteer.
0: Oh, that is amazing. Uh, you know, that it's it's really amazing the connections we make yes and um, we're all most of us as educators are just too busy
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. how cool that that that's, friend why, of yours
1: that's why I t- shared that story and I have one more story and I hope these two stories that I'm sharing encourage other educators to reach out to those members in the community the next one was um, something called Principal for a day and I'm sure many schools have this all across the country well, I would get emails every year encouraging me to sign up for, um, to have someone be a principal of the day in the school. Once again, I thought, oh my goodness, that would be a great idea, but I'm pretty busy during the day to s- slow down, to talk with someone about all the things I'm doing. Well, one year I decided, okay, Meredith, you need to jump in and jump into this, and So they sent a gentleman, he worked for IBM, his name was Richard James, and he had a career, he'd retired, and he was volunteering in the Reno Reno area. He wanted to come in and see what was going on in the school setting. Um, Richard and I had an absolutely fantastic day. Um, He also was a black male minority, and for him to be an absolute strong presence in that school was beyond my wildest dreams. I couldn't have wished for more. Um, Richard then came back the next week, and he started volunteering every day in a classroom. Um, Mm -hmm. He loved the area of mathematics. He started a morning um, student technology group. You know, Bob was bringing in all those computers, and sometimes one of them might not work very well. Well, Richard had the students who would go out and problem solve that and figure out how to get those computers back up and running again. Um, Richard then continued. He wanted to be there even more, and he got his substitute license as a teacher. This is like a second career for him. Um, And then I believe he's still very active in um, education, but also with his family, which he is very close to. But I think so thankful for individuals that start out volunteering like Bob Listener and Richard James, who can make such an impact in our schools and I encourage others to reach out to those community members and you will never, it might go beyond your wildest dreams what they can do to help the children in that school.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful.
1: I hope There's a way they can listen to this. (laughs) I I was exchanging an email with Bob Listener this morning. and I said, Bob, would you like a link to this podcast? And he said he would absolutely love it.
0: Oh, I love that because the stories of, I mean, I actually started my career as a volunteer. Oh. and Yeah, just to let you know. I mean, I'm not going to go into my whole life story right here, but it did change my life. And I, I think that the idea of Richard doing that, also, it's uh it sounds like th- that passion when you find it and you know you can make a difference, sometimes you come in different doors.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really appreciate having you, Barbara, have this vehicle where those stories can be shared. Think of how, you know, that can go so far without so many listening to your podcast. It is an amazing experience.
0: Oh, Meredith, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. And we're going to be putting together a, a blog post together to go with this. So we'll probably have to get some pictures from behind you in the window outside yes, your door. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, wonderful that you can have a life now and and it's another journey. Yep. Right. Yes, it is. But you're still connecting. Absolutely. I've, Every day. I've, I love this. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you, Barbara. I just so thankful well you are welcome <laughs> and we'll probably
1: bring you back another time when you're doing another thing because yes. I know you <laughs> yeah uh, yep. I've had I have innervator innervator running through my veins yep I can't wait to begin the next thing as soon as I dream it up oh
0: <laughs> well thank you have a
1: wonderful day wonderful thank you Barbara mm-hmm. bye now bye
0: Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Meredith Johnson. Look for a complimentary blog post about Meredith, where we pull together resources and links for you. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and oh, we would love a review. (laughs) You can also subscribe to my website at barbabray.net and then you receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the
1: conversations.